Well, three points in today's uh, passage, very simple. Take care how you judge, take care how you live, take care how you hear. Point one then, take care how you judge. Verse uh, 37, please open and read along with me. Jesus says, Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Now, like many verses in this chapter, it is very easy to take them out of context and to make them say something that they're not trying to say. So let me again start by saying what Jesus is, does not mean when he writes these verses. Firstly, Jesus is not excluding all judgment entirely. Uh, This passage doesn't mean, for example, that Christians can't speak against same-sex marriage or speak about what is right or wrong in the world. No, it's not excluding all judgment completely. Secondly, Jesus is not saying that there is no place for the the God-given task entrusted to courts and governments to enforce justice to judge and to condemn the guilty. And thirdly, Jesus is certainly not saying here that there will be no final judgment for all of us. I mean, Jesus has already pronounced earlier in the chapter, woe, 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 against those who reject him and live for this world only. Now, what Jesus is uh, warning against here is that kind of harsh, judgmental hypocrisy that looks on others in self-righteous arrogance and refuses to show mercy, forgiveness and love. But do you notice there's a promise attached to this warning, uh, or this, to this kind of non-judging, non-condemning, generous stance towards others. It's going to be richly rewarded. Do you see that in verse 38? Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Now, uh, we're not familiar with this uh, really, but in ancient, uh, ancient garments had a little uh, overlay, I guess, at the front, a little pocket, if you like. So when you went to the market and you wanted to buy your, your wheat or your grain, you'd open up your garment and then they would uh, you know, shake together, the measure it all out, and then pour it into your garment, into your lap, and you would carry it home. So this measure here, pressed down, shaken together, running over, this is a full measure. It's a generous measure. It's a fair measure. And what Jesus is saying here is, if you are able to treat others with this kind of mercy and generosity, to withhold judgment and condemnation, well, you can expect the same from God. Your reward in heaven will be rich and eternal. Well, what is the motivation for this kind of behaviour? Well, it's actually back in verses 35 and 36 from last week's passage. Uh, unfortunately, uh, the chapter division in the uh, ESV doesn't uh, help us very much here, and we think they're not related to each other. Uh, but just have a look at verse 35 and 36, and you'll see the connection immediately. Jesus says, But love your enemies and do good. And lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you'll be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful, and therefore judge not, condemn not, forgive, 
give. Do you see it? See, Jesus is saying we need to reflect God's character. If God is kind and merciful to the ungrateful and the evil, then we as his children must be the same. We must be merciful if God has been merciful to us. We must forgive if God has forgiven us. We must be generous because God has stored up for us this generous reward that will be repaid to us in his eternal kingdom. We're to be merciful like our Father towards the ungrateful and the evil. And that means as we look on outsiders and especially our enemies, we look not in judgment, we look not in condemnation, we look in mercy, we look in kindness towards them. Now, Jesus is going to push this a few steps further in the verses that follow, verses 39 to 42. And you'll see in verse 39, he uh, tells this parable. He also told them a parable, verse 39. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? Uh, It's pretty simple, really, isn't it? Uh, If you're blind, it's pretty hard to lead someone else, especially if they're blind as well. The result is pretty certain. Both you and your followers are going to end up in the pit, right? Now, Jesus isn't talking about a pothole here, like you might get on the Malaysian streets. The kind of pit he is talking about here is a dug grave, the kind of hole that if you fall into, you are not getting out of again. Remember, Jesus is still talking to his disciples here. And what I think he is saying to them is, as long as you are still blind... You are in no position to judge others. While you're still navigating life by your own blind standards, there's only going to be one result. You're going to end up in destruction and you're going to take whoever's silly enough to listen to you with you. You need clear sight. We need the kind of clear sight that only Jesus can give. See in verse 40 what Jesus says. He says, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. And the job of the disciple is to imitate the master, to learn from them. Uh, You're not meant to proudly think that you're better than them, to think that you have have it all worked out much better than they do. You don't put yourself in judgment over your teacher. That's blind behavior that is not clear sight. And so Jesus is warning his disciples here, the moment you begin hypocritically judging others and condemning them, perhaps like the Pharisees were in the preceding chapter, the moment you start putting yourself above Jesus and pronouncing judgments different to him, instead of humbly listening to Jesus, well, watch out. In your blindness, you are going to fall into the pit of everlasting destruction. We have to seek to be like Jesus, our master. Now, how did Jesus, the teacher, treat his enemies? Jesus wasn't quick to judge those who judged him. He went to the cross so that they might not be judged. Jesus did not leap to condemn those who condemned him. No, he came into the world to pay for our failures. Jesus didn't seek revenge for those who nailed him to the cross. What did he pray? 
Father, forgive them. Jesus did not hold back from those who held back from him. He stretched out his arms on the cross and he gave his life for the ungrateful and for the evil so that they would turn back to God. Now, if that is how Jesus, the teacher, treats people, who are we to put ourselves above him? Our aim should be to be like him, to have the the same stance as him, the same stance of generosity, of forgiveness, of not being quick to judge. And Jesus drives home the point here with another striking image in verse 41 and 42. Jesus says, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite! First take the log out of your own eye, And then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. Now, who said Jesus didn't have a sense of humor, hey? (laughs) It's a deliberately comical picture. I mean, you can just imagine that you went to the the eye surgeon to get your cataracts removed. And they wheel you into the surgery. And uh, with that last bit of vision that you have left before the sleeping gas kicks in and you you go under, uh, you have a look at the doctor who's about to operate on you. And what does he have? Well, there's two big footballs in his eyes. He's about to operate on you. Uh, well, before you fall asleep, you're going to run away as fast as possible. Now, of course, what Jesus is talking about here is actually not that... It's very ludicrous indeed. He's talking about hypocrisy. The fact is that we actually do this kind of thing in our own lives. And Jesus says to us, Before you proceed to condemn others, to judge others, you make sure you examine your own life first and deal with your own problems first. Now, notice again what Jesus is not saying. Jesus is not saying that we should never deal with other people's sins. He's not saying that you should never point out another disciple's faults. You notice once you've taken out the log then you can take out the speck from your brother's eye. But what Jesus is saying here is that you must take care to deal with your own sins first because then and only then will you be in the position to deal sensitively with others in mercy and generosity and forgiveness rather than in this kind of harsh, judgmental hypocrisy. Now, I don't know about you, but I find these incredibly challenging uh, words, and I've been very rebuked by them this, uh, this week, uh, of the many sins that I struggle with, and I'm pretty sure I'll add to that list as soon as our baby pops out. Uh, self-righteous judgmentalism is, uh, I think, just about at the top of the list. Uh, just this week, I uh, was, uh, heard of someone who was struggling with a particular sexual sin, and my first response, sadly was not to humbly pray that God would show mercy and change them and forgive them. My first instinct was, well, to harshly judge them, to condemn them. But I mean, who am I to judge? Which person does not themselves struggle with lust and other sins like that? 
Now, I suspect that I'm not alone in this room in uh, suffering from this kind of judgmental hypocrisy. I wonder, do we judge those who struggle with lust and then watch pornography ourselves? Do we condemn those who rob our houses and then we go and download illegal movies or go to the Pasamalam? Do we complain about the, the driving practices of other people and then find that we ourselves go and park on the yellow line, speed off and selfishly cut in in front of everyone else? Do we judge others for not going to church or not getting their theology right when we ourselves have our own problems of godliness that we're, when we can't even see? We need to remember here, when you point the finger at other people, there's three fingers coming back at you, isn't there? So we must take care how we judge. We must be like our Heavenly Father. We must be like our teacher, Jesus, and show merciful humility and not judgmental hypocrisy. I wonder if you need to repent of this kind of judgmental hypocrisy yourself just like I do. Well, that is point one, take care how you judge. And we're up to point two, take care how you live. Now, we mustn't miss the connection between verses 40 to 42 and the verses that follow. Do you notice that verse 43 starts with that very important little word there, for? Uh, Jesus is expecting us here to see the connection. Well, what does it say, verse 43? For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its fruit. For fig trees are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. The evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. Jesus, in these verses, is really drawing back from all that he's said so far to come to the heart of the issue. Jesus expects his sermon so far to prompt deep, penetrating self-examination. What fruit is there really in my life? And what does that reflect of my heart? Now, Again, the point is uh, pretty simple here, isn't it? Good trees produce good fruits, bad trees produce bad fruits. Durian trees produce durians, mangosteens come from mangosteen trees. Now, I'll leave you to decide which one is the good fruit and which one is the bad one, although it should be pretty obvious. (laughs) But we're meant to reflect here, isn't it? What fruit is your life producing? Good fruit or bad fruit? How does your life compare to the standard that Jesus has set forward in these verses. I mean, are you content with poverty, hunger, pain and exclusion so long as you're in the kingdom of God? Or is your hope really in the riches of this world? Are you intent on loving your enemies, praying for those who persecute you? Or are you doing the opposite, seeking revenge, self-protection? retaliation are you humble and merciful towards other people or are you always full of this judgmental hypocrisy of 
course, we could expand the fruit much wider than what Jesus has just mentioned in this passage, isn't it? Think about your relationships with your family, your work, your speech, your character. What do they reveal about your heart? In fact, Jesus puts a particular emphasis on speech there in verse 45. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. The evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. What does your speech reveal about your heart? Your priorities? What you value? Is it full of lies and deceit? Is it full of truth and love? Is it full of judgmental hypocrisy? Is it full of forgiveness and mercy? What is your heart like? We need some serious self-reflection. And we have to ask the question, if our life is not producing the kind of good fruit that Jesus is describing here, the natural question we ask is, are we really Jesus' disciple? The disciple is like the master, so if I am not, has my heart really been changed? Am I humbly hearing and obeying Jesus' words? Or am I blindly following my own way? to the pit. Well, if that is you today, where are we to turn? Well, knowing our spiritual poverty, there's only one place to go, and that is to the teacher, to Jesus, to throw ourselves at the feet of the only one who has been unjudgmental, and full of forgiveness. We're turned to the one who in his generosity went to the cross so that we might not be condemned, who was condemned in our place. We are to admit our spiritual poverty before him, receive his mercy, and plead with him to change our hearts. Then and only then, as we come to Jesus and we hear and we obey, can we begin to produce the good fruit that he requires of us? Have you come to Jesus? Are you showing the fruit of a true disciple of him? That's point two. Take care how you live. And finally, take care how you hear. Well, as Jesus finishes this sermon, he reminds us that the stakes in this matter are pretty high. How we treat Jesus and his words will in fact have eternal consequences. If we will not listen to Jesus and obey his word, then we must beware. Do you see what Jesus says again there in verse 46? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Jesus is warning us here. It's not enough to just mouth the word Lord. Jesus requires radical action. 
Of course, I think this assumes that we even call Jesus Lord in the first place. I mean, many Christians that I uh, seem to meet uh, around here in, in Malaysia seem to see Jesus as only as their friend, as their brother, as the one who's going to bless them, but certainly not as their Lord, as their King, the one who demands their ultimate allegiance and obedience. But Jesus reminds us here, he is Lord. And if he is our Lord, he demands of his disciples radical obedience. And in fact, this is a theme that will run all the way through Luke's gospel. Let's just pick up a couple of examples. Come with me uh, in Luke chapter 8. As uh, Jesus' mother and brothers come to him in verse 19 and 20, and uh, they want to see Jesus. What does Jesus say to his family? He says in verse uh, 21, My mother and brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. A bit later on in chapter 11, a woman in the, of the crowd will raise her voice and come to Jesus in verse 27, 28. Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. Indeed. But he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. See, Jesus doesn't simply want more people to warm the chairs in church. He's not after armchair disciples who listen only and then go home and do not obey. Jesus is after real repentance and radical discipleship. Now, just cast your minds back to the beginning of chapter 6 and the audience that he is speaking to here. Come back to chapter 16 and verse, chapter 6, sorry, and verse 17. There are the disciples, the apostles, that is. There's a wider group of disciples, and there, there is this great crowd. And why is the crowd here? Verse 18 they came to hear him and to be healed of all their diseases. And so Jesus speaks to this group who have come to hear him only. That hearing is not enough. Uh, it's possible to be a phony disciple, the disciple that just comes for hearing and healing. Well, that's not a real disciple of Jesus. Real disciples of Jesus come not only for what they can get from him and not only to listen and enjoy his teaching, real disciples hear his word and they obey it. False disciples are the ones that come near to receive and walk away doing nothing. <laughs> So Jesus is saying to us here, have you heard me say, love your enemies? Well, don't just hear me, go and do it. Have you heard me say, judge not and you will not be judged? Don't just hear me, go and do it. Have you heard me say, be generous and lend, not expecting anything back in return? Jesus says, don't just hear me, go and do it. Now, the gospel of Jesus is a gospel of repentance, a gospel that requires you to stop living for yourself and to start living in humble trust and obedience to Jesus. Now, I suspect we get a little bit nervous when we talk about this because we want to protect, and rightly so, that we are saved by grace and not by our works. But Jesus is reminding us here 
that this gospel of grace requires a twofold response. It requires trust, yes, but it also requires repentance. It requires a radical change in life where you submit yourself under the rule of the king. And so Jesus ends his sermon with a dramatic warning to us to respond rightly to him and to his words. Now look at that parable there in verse 47 to 49. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Two people, two houses, two results. Which one are you? If you have been in KL for a while, I wonder if you remember when they were building the Petronas Towers. Well, the first thing they had to do was not to build up, they had to dig down and a long way down to make sure that big building wouldn't topple over and they had a lot of trouble with it, if you remember. Sometimes I'm afraid to still stand in the building. We need firm foundations if we are going to weather the storm. Now, the storm that Jesus is referring to here is the storm of God's final judgment. We actually saw this uh, referred to a little bit in our Old Testament reading from Ezekiel chapter 13. In, In that chapter, God was pronouncing his judgment on the false prophets who kept on speaking peace, peace, when there was no peace. And what did God say? He would come in a storm and his judgment would fall. And throughout this sermon, Jesus has been pushing our eyes to the future. He's been making us think of what is that final judgment going to be like. To the blessed, there is going to be reward for all those who have responded rightly to Jesus, who have heard and obeyed. There will be blessing, rich reward. But woe to those who do not. Judgment is coming. There is a pit to be fallen into. There is judgment coming for all who reject Christ and live for this world alone. And so as we finish this series in Luke, we need to face the same challenge from Jesus. Have we made this personal response to Jesus? Is Jesus truly your Lord who you are seeking to obey? Or you like the crowds who flock to here, enjoy the service, take whatever you can get from him and go home with no genuine response. It's actually very easy to sit in church for many years and not make the personal response that Jesus is asking for here. It's very, very easy for the Christian life to be all in the head, to be all knowledge, Yes, you know every chapter in the Bible. You know how this theology connects to this one. Very good. Do you obey it? 
Do you trust it? Does it affect your life? If it does not, well, all of that knowledge is useless to you and you have no foundation to weather the final storm. The only ones who will survive the final storm are those who have Jesus as their Lord, who submit themselves under his rule. Now, in many parts of the world and in our country and, God forbid, even in this church, you will always find those who are Sunday Christians. Christians in name only, but not in action. Maybe they're Christian on their IC card, but definitely not in their workplace. Definitely not when they drive their car. Definitely not when they go home to their wife and kids. I don't know if you think like that. Maybe you think you are a Christian because you have Christian on your IC. Maybe you think you're a Christian because you've been to Sunday school since you were growing up. Maybe you think you're a Christian because you come to church regularly or even go to Bible study group, TNT. Jesus says, no. Coming and hearing is not sufficient. A Christian is one who submits to him as the Lord of their life. Is Jesus truly Lord of your life? Are you actively seeking to listen to him and to obey him? Does your life show the fruit of the kingdom? Or does your life show that your discipleship is all a farce, all a fake? You're really actually just living for yourself. You give Jesus a hearing from time to time, but you never really listen to what he says. Maybe you've segmented your life into different parts. And there's the parts that Jesus can have, and there's the parts that he can't. You can have your Sunday time, but he cannot have your relationship can have your Sunday time, but he's not going to affect your, your career at work. You can have your, your Bible study time, but it's not going to affect how you live at home. There are the commands in the Bible that you, you obey, and there's the ones that you reject, that you don't obey. Maybe you're fixed on the things of this world. You're busy building up your empire here, now, rather than following these words of Jesus, being willing to suffer, being willing to give, being giving to love, even your enemies, even though it will cost you. If that is you, let me say in the strongest possible terms, you need to take serious stock of these words of Jesus. Because if you do not hear and obey, if you do not submit to Jesus as Lord, then when the storms of final judgment come, you will surely be washed away. Well, I don't suspect that it's all of us here. (laughs) Maybe some. But maybe for many of us, we have built our life on Jesus' words. We are striving to live for his coming kingdom. Yeah, we still have improvement to go, but we are struggling to love our enemies. We are struggling to be generous. 
We are struggling to be humble and merciful and not judgmental hypocrites. We are seeking to live under the lordship of Jesus. Well, in fact, this passage has a great encouragement for us, if that is us. Because even though the world thinks that you are crazy when you love your enemies, even though the world is going to call you radical, fundamentalists, for actually listening to Jesus, well, even though they might hate you, revile you, persecute you, you know that you are blessed. And you know as you keep digging into these words and you keep putting them into practice, you are laying a very firm foundation. And when that, that flood of final judgment comes, you'll be absolutely secure. You'll stand. You'll be welcomed into the kingdom. You will be blessed. And blessed for eternity. And what a wonderful assurance that is from the mouths of our Lord. How are you responding to the words of Jesus? Is he your Lord? Handle with care. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are so different to us. You are merciful and you are kind even to the ungrateful and to the evil. Thank you for loving us even when we were your enemies. Thank you that you sent your son. Your son did not condemn us, but he went to the cross that we may not be condemned. Father, we pray that you would help us indeed to respond rightly to Jesus as our Lord. Help us not to be blind and wander about in our own way. Help us to come to him, listen and obey. We thank you for the wonderful promise here that as we do this, we have a rich reward stored up for us in heaven that when the storms of final judgment come, we will be perfectly secure. So we thank you for these promises. In Jesus' name, amen.